You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, July 7th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, we have some sad news to start off today's episode. Uh, James Caan has died at the age of 82. Um, obviously, he was a Hollywood legend. He was in The Godfather, Godfather Part Two. He was in Brian's Song. He was in Misery. He was in Elf. I mean, his his uh, the the legacy that this guy leaves behind is um, is kind of unreal. And he was like one of the classic Hollywood tough guys. I think is is sort of how. Maybe he'll be best remembered, but um, he showed in, in several different projects that he had different sides of him, too. He played vulnerability really well. He played comedy surprisingly well. Um, what, what are your thoughts about uh, about James Conrad? What are your um, your favorites of his and, and maybe little moments that you remember? Yeah, I mean, for sure, like The Godfather is is where it's at. You know, um, that's like one of his signature roles. Thief was another good one. Uh, and it was fun when he would kind of like play with his, um, you know, persona that like he had on the big screen you know like even though the movie isn't necessarily great he's obviously having fun in a movie like mickey blue eyes you know um and then you know even in uh, a movie like elf he kind of plays with that sunny corleone personality because he's uh, a little bit you know he, he's, he's grumpy he's rough around the edges but he also shows like a, a softer side in this movie because it's it's a holiday family comedy and mm-hmm. uh, one, of, one of the things i've I actually have always really liked uh, and i actually wrote about this uh, on slash film is 
Uh, in the commentary for Elf, uh, John Favreau talks about making of the movie, and there's a particular scene where you can see uh, James Caan uh, crack because Will Ferrell makes him laugh, and like they kept it in because he did a good enough job of uh, obscuring his face so that you couldn't really see it. But <laughs> once Favreau points it out, like you can't miss it, and it's the scene where Will Ferrell gets his finger pricked to get a, a blood sample for the DNA test to see if he's James Caan's son. And so when Favreau pokes his finger, Favreau uh, or uh, Ferrell does this like blood curdling scream, and you just see you see Caan suddenly like turn his face away from the camera a little bit so that you can't see him laughing. Um, and I guess the they they didn't tell James Caan that they were going to do that scream in this particular take, so he was totally caught off guard by it. And uh, it's just it's so great. So go go watch that, and just you'll always see James Caan laughing in that scene from now on. That's awesome, um, man. Yeah, like I I just caught up with Thief like maybe last year I think for the first time, and I was just really blown away by his performance in that. Um, and uh, I mean, misery, like the the ankle breaking scene in misery. I mean, like there are several moments where he was part of like, you know, genuine Hollywood iconic, you know, history kind of moments. Um, and so it's it's sad to lose him. And, and also it's sad to lose him because he was such a great uh, presence on Twitter, too. I don't know if you followed him on Twitter, Brad, but like his whole thing was every single tweet would end with the phrase end of tweet. <laughs> and like, yeah. he was just constantly po- you know, post um, old photos of himself from film sets and like, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And he was just a really um, enjoyable presence, you know, even, you know, into his like seventies and eighties on social media, which you can, it's definitely not something that you can say about um, a lot of the people from his generation. So uh, man, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm sad to see him go. And, and um, I need to like go back and, and, fill in you know he had like a 60 year long career i have not seen every james con movie but um i don't think he was ever bad in anything that i saw him in and I, I still have a few big ones of his that i need to uh, check off my list of things to see like i never saw the original um, version of the gambler that he was in i never saw the original version of rollerball that he was in um so yeah hopefully uh maybe in the next couple of weeks or something i can and and maybe our listeners will too go back and sort of uh yeah check out the the works of uh of james con because they're definitely worth diving into so um okay so one of uh con's collaborators was michael mann he directed heat and michael mann or, or he directed thief rather and and michael mann also directed heat and uh we, we talked on this podcast about the idea of heat too which is um this novel that man and uh, i think a, a collaborator are writing together which serves as a prequel and a sequel to the famous uh, 1995 crime thriller movie. And at the time when we were talking about this uh, most recently on the podcast, we said that like, we didn't think that there were any plans to actually adapt this into a movie, but um, evidently that's not the case. Speaking with empire, Michael Mann revealed that uh, he said, quote, it's totally planned to be a movie. Is it a modest movie? No. Is it a very expensive series? No, it's going to be one large movie. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a, a big deal, especially given the um, popularity and sort of placement of heat in our in the in the pantheon of action movies. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about like uh, potential casting and things like that, because they're, it, it, I don't, don't think he's going to be doing a, uh, you know, any sort of like digital de-aging on Robert De Niro or uh, Al Pacino or, you know, Val Kilmer or any of the people who were in the original. I think that the idea is to. Uh, recast younger actors to to be in this movie but um i don't think you and i have talked about heat brad have you seen the original movie and and what do you make of of this news 
Oh yeah, no, I absolutely love Heat, and uh, I, I actually um, I like the movie so much uh, that I took advantage of an opportunity to catch uh, like uh, an anniversary screening of it at um, the DGA in LA, where they had a conversation with Michael Mann, hosted by Christopher Nolan, where De Niro and Pacino and Val Kilmer uh, were all present. Like, for Oh, him. man. I didn't know you were there for that. I remember reading about that screening. That's awesome. Yeah, it was like one of the first times like an invite had ever like come through my inbox. And I was like, well, I don't even know how I can miss this. <laughs> you know, that's why I, <laughs> I, so I specifically like booked a flight to go out for that and like turned it into like a little trip just to kind of enjoy myself and, and take advantage of that. So, uh, yeah, that was very cool. And it's just, uh, yeah, Heat's a phenomenal uh, crime action movie. And I don't know how I feel about a sequel, you know, like obviously with, with man being involved, like that's the most, um, I guess, you know, intriguing aspect about it is that like, it's not somebody else trying to pick it up and do something. If Michael Mann feels like it's a story that should be told, then we should probably pay attention. But I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because I love heat so much. And I just don't know if it's something that is really going to live up to the potential. Yeah. And, you know, Michael Mann, like the, the past few movies that he's made, uh, in my estimation, have not been nearly as um, as successful as he, you know, like Black Hat in 2015 is, I think, maybe the most notorious example of something that was just like, uh, almost incomprehensible. And like, it performed terribly at the box office. Before that, he directed uh, Public Enemies in 2009, which was like, okay. Um, but uh and he directed the pilot recently of uh, Tokyo Vice, the, the HBO Max um, crime series, which was like pretty decent. So, you know, it's not like he's completely lost every, you know, every step that he once had or whatever. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see what happens here because he's also had like a Ferrari movie in the works for a long, long time. Um, and I don't know if this is something that he's going to like, you know, jump to the front of the line because he is sort of on the brain for everybody right now with this book coming out or uh, when we're actually going to see this and, and who's going to be in it. But I imagine he'll be able to cast, you know, whatever uh, young up and coming people that he wants, you know, anybody should be uh, so lucky to work with Michael Mann. So um, yeah, we'll have to see. I, I sort of had the same reservations that you do about the story idea for this, like the, the prequel element, but I have not read the book. So uh, I think Chris Evangelista has, is getting a press copy of the the book and is going to read it and write a review for slash film. So stay tuned um, for that. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe pre-order the book yourself if you're a big, uh, heat fan out there. So, um, all right, Brad, just a couple other news items that I want to touch on today. And they both involve the Duffer brothers, uh, and the stranger things, uh, universe, I guess, I guess stranger things is like almost about to be a franchise now instead of just a, uh, a single entity. So, um, the Duffer brothers have launched their own production company called upside down pictures, and there is a Stranger Things spinoff that's in the works that they've been talking about for a little while. Nobody really knows the details of what this thing uh, is going to look like or, or feel like. There's been a lot of rumors about, oh, it's going to be a spinoff about Dustin. It's going to be, uh, you know, following number, you know, four or something instead of 11. And they've basically shot down all of those rumors and said that it's going to be something that's very, very different from the original Stranger Things, but sort of have like that same storytelling style that sort of like, I guess, Amblin-esque, to use that phrase, um, sort of storytelling sensibility. Uh, They they did mention like in a recent interview, like there is going to be some connective tissue there. But um, yeah, so, so that is in the works. And there's also a Stranger Things stage play that is, quote, set within the world and mythology of Stranger Things. 
that is going to be produced by um, some folks in the UK, including um, Stephen Daldry. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what are you thinking about, you know, the Stranger Things world, Brad? Or have you caught up with the new season? And what do you think about, you know, the season five that's supposed to be the final season of the Mothership show and this this idea about a spinoff and a stage play? Uh, you know, I I always worry when we hear stuff like this, kids, it feels like, uh, they're just trying to capitalize on something that is extremely popular that that Netflix obviously wants to keep alive because it's a big part of their brand. And I feel like, you know, Stranger Things probably needs like a good break after we're done with this. You know, this is a show that has been, um, you know, a pretty prominent uh, force in pop culture for the past few years. And every time a new season comes along, it's it's a big deal. People pay attention to it and they're talking about it. But like it's it's so big that I feel like rather than trying to keep it going as this pop culture behemoth, you just have to like chill out for a bit and let that desire build before you start doing more with it. You know, we haven't even had the final season yet and they're already talking about all this stuff. And like I just don't need all of that Stranger Things, you know, um, I, I love the new season. Uh, I do think that the second half of season four was maybe uh, not as strong as the first half and they probably could have trimmed down that finale and really tightened it and made it a little bit better than it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Not that it was bad, but I just felt like it was like really just too much. Um, so yeah, depending on how season five goes, I just, I think that Stranger Things needs to chill out for a little while because I just don't know if there's really anything like this is the big story. And so like a spinoff is automatically going to feel secondary and inferior no matter what you do. You know, you're always going to be chasing what Stranger Things did to begin mm-hmm. with. So, you know, I just don't know if they have, because, because we don't have the details, if they have something that's truly compelling enough to actually be on par with Stranger Things. You know, not a lot of spinoffs generally don't match the potential of the the original uh, story that preceded it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm on the fence. Uh, you know, the stage play I can take or leave, you know, whatever. So many movies and TV shows are getting turned into plays nowadays that it's just like, well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, what? Like uh, maybe they'll do some interesting things with like the the stage and the you know special effects to like bring Stranger Things to life in a way that is really cool to see in person on stage. But otherwise, you know, it's... I think this is a show that like thrives in the medium that it's in and to try and turn it into something, you know, different elsewhere just feels like it's, you know, trying to piggyback off of its success. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for that um, spinoff, there was another story about um, the idea that like the Duffer brothers don't want to spend the next 10 years of their lives in this universe. So they have said, uh, I'll just read their quote here. They say, the idea ultimately is to pass the baton to someone else, someone who's hopefully really talented and passionate um, basically they say, you know, by the time that this, uh, fifth season is over, they will have spent nearly 10 years working on this thing. And even though they loved every second of it, they, they don't want to do that again and, and just sort of get stuck in almost like James Cameron avatar territory where it's like, that's the only thing that they're associated with at this point. Um, uh, or at least recently. So, you know, they, they've done some stuff before this, but they were relatively, um, almost like. I think they'd worked in the writer's room of uh, Wayward Pines, the, the M. Night Shyamalan network show, and were sort of like plucked from there. They made like one really small um, studio movie that was like sat on a shelf and not really widely seen. And then they got Stranger Things. So they really like um, came from essentially nowhere um, to get this show, which turned into like a giant deal. But the idea that, that they're willing to, you know, basically like birth this child into the world and then pass, pass it off to somebody else is kind of interesting. Um, I think Matt Duffer said 
even the idea of Ross and I say doing a pilot and leaving it, it just feels silly to me. You really need to be there from the beginning to end. I think we need to find a partner to help us with that. So um, what do you think of of the idea of uh, the Duffers moving on from the Stranger Things universe? Do you think that there's enough there um, that you're, you know, intrigued enough from what you've seen from from their work to like follow them outside of Stranger Things territory? And and what do you think about the idea of somebody else stepping in for this spinoff? You know, I think having somebody step in for the spinoff is probably the best approach because that probably gives whatever the spinoff is the best chance of standing on its own without feeling like it's just trying to uh, replicate the success of Stranger Things. I think I feel like if the Duffers did it, then it might skew too close to what Stranger Things is. But if you bring in a new filmmaker with their own vision and style, then maybe that's something that they can make their own so that it doesn't feel like it's just, you know, an offshoot of what the Duffer brothers already did you know i mean like i it would be great if it was something along the lines of like uh what the the rise of the planet of the apes franchise turned into you know mm. that became, became a fantastic franchise in its own right you know that w- works on its own even away from the planet of the apes franchise um from from decades past so if they were able to do something like that with stranger things i think that would be cool as far as following the duffer brothers elsewhere outside of stranger things territory uh i think it just depends on uh, the project and what kind of stories they're telling, you know, it's, you know, I feel like uh, it's the same thing with uh, the Russo brothers. They did such a good job with their contributions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the stuff that they've been doing with other movies since then, I've just been mostly meh on, you know, and not particularly uh, excited about. So yeah. I think it, I think it, it all depends on, on the story they're telling uh, and whether or not it uh, tickles my fancy. So one thing that I was wondering, um, you know, they, they just announced this idea of, um, of starting this production company, I think it was yesterday, and they have a deal with Netflix. But to me, I don't think that necessarily precludes them from jumping into, you know, other franchise territory if they wanted to. So like the natural thing, the, the assumption that I think a lot of people might have is like, I wonder if if Disney or Marvel has given them a call, um, you know, because of the success of Stranger Things, like, and and I guess if what like would you want to see the Duffer Brothers step into the MCU, you know, maybe for a TV show or uh, make a Disney Plus Star Wars show or something, or do you think that uh, that that is like not really the the direction that you want their careers to go? I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing what the Duffer Brothers could do with something like Marvel or. Are Star Wars because with Stranger Things they've clearly shown that they have a good eye for capturing the vibe of a certain style, you know, like they've re- they really have put the essence of 1980s uh, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror into Stranger Things, where it's uh, it's definitely echoing movies we've seen before, but it also does have a refreshing approach to it that doesn't make it feel like it's just a carbon copy. You know, they, they bring, <laughs> they bring a mix of originality with, with that nostalgia. And I think that that's something that star Wars especially needs right now. Um, and you know, the, their storytelling capabilities like could easily fit in with Marvel as well. You know, it would just be especially cool if there was a way for them to like tell some kind of, uh, retro 60s superhero story even like set in the MCU or an alternate Marvel universe or something like that huh. um, but but yeah I, th- I, I you know I wouldn't mind seeing that I but of course I think I'm always more interested I think in their uh, original ideas you know as long as it's something that captures my my attention I would much rather see filmmakers spread their wings in that way as opposed to trying to fit their own style and sensibilities into somebody else's sandbox. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think um, the idea of like passing this baton to somebody for the the spinoff, I kind of hope that it's somebody that they've worked with before that like, it's somebody that we don't know what that person's name is, but is, you know, maybe a producer on the current version or like a, you know, somebody in the writer's room or something that, that, um, you know, it basically just be like, um, reaching down and, and pulling somebody up to, uh, to give them their shot in the, in the big leagues kind of thing, instead of, like you're saying, you know, grabbing a big name and sort of trying to see what another person who we're already familiar with what their style is, um, how they operate in the sort of like larger stranger things mythos. So, um, yeah, if, if I had my choice, uh, I would, I would hope that I don't know the name of the person who's going to run the, the stranger things spinoff, but, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I guess there's a lot to uh, a lot to think about here. So um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's relatively short episode of the show. You can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of today's episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.